text for the sermon this day is taken from the gospel lesson, which you heard a little bit ago. You may be seated. Grace, peace, and mercy to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Herod the Great. That is what the man was called, Herod the Great. And he's called that throughout history. And there's a reason he was called Great. Because in the early days of his reign, he was a great king. He did great things for Israel. He, he finished the second temple. He built an enti the entire city of Caesarea in 12 years. This is a, a very important port city for the people of it, for Judea. He did many incredible accomplishments and works or spearheaded it for the people of Israel. And so he was indeed at one time a great king. Well, the thing that happens so often for the people of Israel is that their kings who start out good go corrupt. You can think of, for example, David. The man after God's own heart eventually committed adultery and murdered a man. You can think of Solomon who was the wisest of all the kings, but eventually he had several hundred wives, and his decision-making eventually led to the split of the kingdom. And so also with Herod. Herod was a man that became paranoid and obsessed with keeping his kingdom. He would do anything and everything to keep others from stealing it. So for example... He had ten wives during his life. Yes, ten. And when he had that tenth, one of his, his favorite of those ten wives, he had her executed, along with his mother-in-law, because he thought that they were trying to overthrow him. He also had executed his three favorite sons, because he thought that they were trying to overthrow his rule. Which is for, it is for this reason that Caesar Augustus famously said of Herod, it is better to be Herod's pig than Herod's son. Because Herod, being a Jew, would never eat a pig, so he's more likely to kill his son than he would kill a pig. He was even known to kill one of his uncles and several others of his family, all because he was afraid that they were over, trying to overthrow him. Even on his, when he had five days left on his life, no, five days before he died, he had this, they thought he was going to die on this day. And he was, they thought for certain he was on his deathbed. The crown prince was ready to take over. Well, Herod rallied. And when he rallied, he had that crown prince executed. On the day of his death, he gave an order to his sister that all of the Jewish leaders were to be executed on the day of his death. Why? Because he knew nobody would cheer at it, would be mourning his death. Rather, they'd probably be dancing and cheering. So in order to make sure people were mourning when he died, he wanted to make sure all the Jewish leaders were executed at the same time. Fortunately, nobody went through with that command. But... That is the type of man Herod was. He was a very brutal man. And this is, so it comes as no surprise that when the Magi came and visited 
And they asked, where is the king of the Jews to be born? All of Jerusalem was worried. They were concerned. What is Herod going to do? And their fear ended up being validated. Because Herod ordered the execution of every child, every male child under the age of two in the town of Bethlehem. Now understand, a lot of times people imagine that this was like hundreds of children. Understand, Bethlehem wasn't that big. The estimates are it was probably 12. There's probably 12 male children under the age of two in Bethlehem at the time. But the thing is, is know that when they got that message in the dream, that they had to get out, they did not have much time. They did not get time to pack up all their favorite things. Imagine if somebody told you, imagine how long it would take for a horse, and I'm talking about like a racehorse, the best of horses, to get from, he, from Holstein to Ida Grove. Now, you might have a little bit of time, obviously not as much time, as, a little bit more time than it was by car, but note that it is all, pretty much all downhill from Holstein. That's the distance from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. They had very little time to get out to escape Herod's wrath. And see, Herod is kind of the tale of a person who, yes, he started out good, but his paranoia and his desire to keep the kingdom that he had led him to do horrible things. And that is actually very much the history of the world. Think of Exodus. The first chapter of Exodus, we read about Pharaoh desperate to preserve his kingdom. And he, he decides to enslave the Hebrews and eventually tries to kill the children, eventually kills all the male children. You could also go even into our modern history. You can look at things such as slavery in our country. You can look at the Trail of Tears. Now, obviously, it was not just children, but I guarantee children died in those events. You look at the Holocaust. The biggest argument was always that the Jews were trying to keep them back. Now, that's not why Herod did it. Herod actually had, not Herod, but Hitler, had philosophical reasons for why he did what he did. But... He convinced the people that it was good for the Germans. In our own country, the most obvious application of this is abortion. So often, we live in a country which not only has abortion, but actually celebrates it. When the law was passed in New York that made it legal to have an abortion up to the, date, up to the moment of birth, they lit up that, the Empire State Building in celebration. What kind of a nation, what kind of a people celebrate the right to murder their own children? It was on Twitter that there was a campaign that went on, and the campaign was all about shout your abortion. And when you read these tweets from people, they weren't saying, I was raped by such and such person. They weren't talking about incest. They weren't talking about their life being on the line. They were talking about 
Well, I could not have had the career I wanted had I not aborted that child. I could not have done this or done that. At the core of those answers is a desire to keep one's kingdom. A desire to keep what is theirs and willing to make a child the victim in order to keep the kingdom. See, our, in our sinful nature, we want to be a king in any way we could possibly make it. And we will do any of a number of things to keep what is ours. We will protect it, we will lie, we will cheat, we will steal, all to keep what is ours. Much like Herod. Hopefully none of us go to the extremes of murder, but many do. And abortion, obviously the modern example of that. So here we are, four days, we are now four days after Christmas. And by the way, this was the reading for the Feast of the Holy Innocents, and it is also the reading for the first Sunday after Christmas, which is why I ended up going with it, because we would have read it anyways. But the question is, why is this the reading? Why is this what we hear right after Christmas? Christmas, we have, those be we have, the, we have the beautiful lights, the beautiful music, and we even had some of that Christmas music already. Why are we already talking about children dying? Well, this is what the Apostle John wrote in his gospel. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. That is a verse that we heard on Christmas Eve. It's a verse we heard on Christmas Day. But typically, we probably fly right through that verse and go, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh. We kind of skip everything that happens in between it. I mean, mentally, we skip everything that happens in between. We overlook, he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. That means even at his birth, they were already trying to kill him. There was no balloons, there was no parade, there was no cake to be celebrated. There was only an attempt to kill him. And as a stark reminder of what it is, the cost to follow this child. The cost of following this child may be blood. That's why I wear kind of a blood red right now. For the holy innocence. For Stephen. Read the martyrdom of Stephen and look at how remarkably similar it is to the death, the death and trial of Jesus. When you hear on the day, the day that's in between, the feast of St. John, he was the one martyr, but the one apostle that did not die a martyr's death. The implication of that? Eleven out of the twelve apostles died a martyr's death. So why, what hope do we have in the midst of it? Seeing the slaughter of the innocents, one child got out, and God made sure one child got out. He did not get out so he could live, not really. He got out so he could die another day. Because yes, eventually the devil would have killed 
every single child under the age of two in that town. In that little town of Bethlehem. But see, that child got out to die another day. And even though the devil in his, his egotistical mind thought when he would, he would execute that child on a cross that he was winning, it was all according to God's divine plan. It was all according to what he orchestrated all the way from the Garden of Eden. The promise he gave to Adam and Eve that the offspring of the woman would crush the serpent's head. And that offspring who is Christ went to the cross and all along the way he was rejected. Over and over you were reminded that his own did not receive him. And it was eventually they shouted, crucify him, crucify him, to further emphasize their rejection. And he went to the cross. He was executed as a murderer, even though he is the one and only innocent person to ever live. But by that blood that was shed, he, would bring, he, would die, he who knew no sin became sin for you that you might become the righteousness of God. That means every sin that you have ever committed, every sin that has ever been committed, even the sins of those who I mentioned before, even the sins of those who carried out the execution of the children, even the sins of those who did what they did in Nazi Germany, even the sins of abortion, he took it all upon himself and made himself the guilty one. And he suffered the fullness of the, penalty, of the punishment and the penalty of every single one of our sin. He, became, he was literally damned. He said it from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was damned. So that those children who were slaughtered in the holy innocence, their death would not be permanent. Rather, they would live again. And in fact, for this reason, that holy innocence is a day that we remember any children that have died, whether it be by violence or miscarriage or stillborn children that have died at a young age for, due to cancer, due to any of a number of illnesses and diseases, which I'm sure many of you know of children or grandchildren, your own children that died very young. It stands, the holy innocent stands as a day to remind you, yes, death still exists. The effect of sin still stands. But in the end, because that Christ child got out, because God made sure to it that he, he took a flight into Egypt, that he made sure to it that he would live long enough to be crucified, and because our God, Heavenly Father made sure that he rose from the dead, every child who dies with Christ, who dies in Christ, dies with the Holy Spirit in them, every one of them will rise on the last day. Jesus' 
death on the cross, Jesus' escape from the slaughter of the holy innocents is the guarantee that the death of those holy innocents was not permanent. It is a guarantee that those children that die with the Holy Spirit, their death is not permanent. They will indeed rise on the last day. We don't know what they'll look like. They're probably not going to be babies. But you'll know who they are. Even though you never saw them, even though they were a miscarriage, you will know who they are. You'll recognize their faces. And this was all because Christ, God ordained it. That Christ would survive the wrath of man, the wrath of the devil, and by his death, by, his, for, by the forgiveness won by the cross, by his resurrection, so also we and all who die in faith in Christ will rise. And yes, children can have faith. John the Baptist left in the womb. Child, children who die in the faith of that same Lord, they will rise. In Jesus' name, amen. The grace, peace, and mercy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, keep you in the one true faith, the life everlasting. Amen. Please stand as we confess the Apostles' Creed.